Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to the Mind Over Murder podcast. My name is Bill Thomas. I'm a writer, consulting producer, and now podcaster. I am now trying to use my experience as the brother of a murder victim to help other victims of violent crime. I'm working on a book on the unsolved Colonial Parkway murders, and I'm the co-administrator of the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook group, together with Kristen Dilley. My name is Kristen Dilley. I'm a writer, a researcher, a teacher, and a victim's advocate, as well as the social media manager and co-administrator for the Colonial Parkway Murders Facebook page with my partner in crime, Bill Thomas. Hi, welcome to this week's bonus episode of Mind Over Murder. For this particular episode, we bring you back to one of two episodes we recorded with Chloe Cantor in December 2020. Chloe Cantor is known as the co-host of the True Crime Twins podcast, which she records with her twin sister, as well as her participation in Crawl Space and Missing podcasts hosted by, of course, Lance Rinstierna and Tim Polari. We continue our conversation with Chloe discussing the work that she's done in the Brianna Maitland case. We hope you enjoy this bonus episode of Mind Over Murder. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome to Mind Over Murder. I'm Kristen Dilley. And I'm Bill Thomas. We are finishing our coverage this week of the Brianna Maitland case by finishing our conversation with Chloe Cantor of the True Crime Twins podcast and Crawl Space. And we are joined again by Chloe Cantor of True Crime Twins to talk to us more about the Brianna Maitland case. Chloe, thank you for joining us again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's go ahead and pick right back up where we left off last episode. Who were some of the people in this case that you think deserve a second look? Second look in in what way? A second look as in they probably know more than what they have been willing to share with investigators. I guess a good place to start is someone that we cannot talk to, which is James Robitelli. The first thing that I thought when he died was, well, that's not great for the investigation because I've always felt that with his changing stories that he had some sort of knowledge and now we'll never know. I'm very sad about his death and the fact that he left several kids behind who now are without a father. And when I read about it, I thought that's really too bad because I feel like he knew more than he ever said publicly. There's just a lot of conflicting statements. And with the last one, which is believed to be true, in which he gets out of the, his own vehicle and touches Brianna's car, it just it makes you wonder, why is he now saying that he touched the car when right. he never said that before? He's making a point of saying he touched the car. 
the fact that James Robitelli's fingerprints or palm prints might be on this Oldsmobile that was Brianna's car wouldn't have been a big surprise to start with. He was supposedly a friend of hers. They supposedly dated. The fact that he spent time in that car wouldn't have been a big shock. No, not at all. I think if his DNA or fingerprints were found in or around the car, it perfectly accounted for because they spent time together, as was witnessed numerous times in the weeks leading up to her disappearance. I always thought his emphasis on the fact that he stopped, I'm putting air quotes around that, and supposedly turned off the headlights, closed the doors, I find that whole thing definitely in the eye-rolling category, particularly with the ever-changing story. Sounds like he's trying to cover up the potential of, like we said, something forensically being found or a witness having seen him. Who knows what prompted the change of story? I think about another case, one which we covered on True Crime Twins. Unfortunately, it's never going to be prosecuted again, but the case was, the conviction was overturned in the 1975 Connecticut murder of uh, 15-year-old Martha Moxley. The person that ended up being tried and convicted first said that he was out and then he went home and went to bed. But then later on, he's recorded saying that he climbed a tree, which happened to be the tree under which the victim was found dead. He said he climbed a tree that night and masturbated in the tree, which I think to most everyone was an obvious attempt to account for his presence of sperm or DNA at the crime scene. Uh And what prompted him making that point was he was told there's new forensic science coming out. So that's what led to him saying it. So I do wonder what was said to James, whether new tests were being run or we haven't publicly shared what witnesses have seen. So who knows? I think that's an important piece of it. Yeah, but speaking for the guys here, you know, who among us hasn't climbed a tree and hung on? You just got in an entirely different direction. Boys will be boys. (laughs) Yeah, really. You you hang on to the tree. You've still got one hand free. Come on. It totally works. Oh, and in freezing temperatures. Oh, yeah. We have to keep warm. Yep. Perfectly normal. Yeah, really. That's what it reminded me of. It, it remind it. It sounded like someone accounting for their presence at a crime scene. Yeah, yeah presence in more ways than one, I would say. Yeah. It, no, you're absolutely right, and I'm not saying that Robitelli's story is quite that outrageous, but it sure feels like he's trying to account for, as you said, DNA, handprints, palm prints, what have you that might have shown up on the Oldsmobile that Brianna was driving. I was going to say, just playing devil's advocate for a minute, as somebody who works with teenagers in that age range, they will say and do most anything to try to get out of trouble if they feel that the trouble is significant enough. So I can I can actually understand somebody changing their story over and over to try to get out of trouble. And it might not be anything more than just, I don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> You know, it's and that's just me playing devil's advocate. I, there may be more there that James Ribatelli needs to or needed to have accounted for than just high. I shouldn't have been out that time of night. I'm trying to avoid getting into trouble. But that's what first struck my mind is here's a kid who's very clearly just trying to get himself out of trouble. And that's why his story has changed. So who else is on your list of people that you think are worth a second look? We're not implying that they are guilty of murder or anything like that. But who else do you think should have more conversations with the investigators or the Vermont State Police? Another name that's mentioned a lot is Mike Stebbins. James, when he changed his story for the last time, 
we talk about trying to avoid getting in trouble. What he was afraid of getting in trouble for was smoking crack with Mike Stebbins. So he's an important part of this story, I think, based on that alone. But then he's also incorporated in the vast variations of rumors that are out there, which all end with Brianna's disposal on his property. And he has multiple properties, but that's what we always hear about. So again, we can't put a lot of merit into rumors and speculation, but the fact that his name comes up a lot and the fact that he did have entanglements with Brianna, I think definitely worth another look. The versions we hear from Lou Barry and Greg Overacker and other experts do include the possibility that the Stebbins family owned multiple farm properties and some of the versions of stories we've heard involve And I say this respectfully, that the Vermont State Police and other agencies may have searched the wrong properties in searching for evidence and possible remains in the Brianna Maitland case. Sure. That's something I've heard from a number of people that key players, you know, James Robitelli has been mentioned specifically that they searched the wrong farm. That's third four parties. Who knows if James actually said that, but that's something that's been circulating around the rumor mill was that the wrong area was searched. And actually, when I spoke to Keely, who was Mike Stebbins' girlfriend, she apparently was at the home when the police came to search what she called the shit pit. And they'd actually asked for her permission to do, which made no sense because she wasn't the property owner, but she gave them permission. And according to her, they found nothing, but she did add that the Stebbins have acres and acres of properties. You're referencing an interview that you conducted with Keely LaCrosse, who yes. was Mike Stebbins' girlfriend. As we understand it, there may be a love triangle or maybe it's a rectangle. Involved. <laughs> rectangle. <laughs> it gets a little complicated. It certainly involves a romantic encounter between Mike Stebbins and Brianna Maitland when Mike Stebbins is supposed to be in some sort of dating relationship with Keely LaCrosse. According to Keely, the two were in a committed relationship for two years. And Mike Stebbins' place, that was where all of the girls in that friend group hung out. Like after school, they would just drink, party, smoke weed. And they always went in Brianna's car because Brianna was the only like the only one that drove and had a car and she always drove Keely back to her aunt and uncle's house. So that was the dynamic. They were all close. Keely went to go visit her mother in Massachusetts and found out when she came back, I believe from Hillary, who's James's sister, and Sydney, who was a girl in that friend group, had told Keely right when they picked her up that Brianna had spent the weekend with Mike. So Keely goes home and confronts Mike about it and he admits it and doesn't spare details. Keely then sees Brianna spending time with James Robitaille, which makes her even more furious. Or James Robitaille, James Robitelli makes her even more furious because she also had a past flame with James. When you say she had a past flame, this is Keely having a, a past relationship? They had both dated James at one point. In the weeks leading up to Brianna's disappearance, she had been spending more time with him, and Keely had even seen them in the car together and had started yelling at them, cussing them out. In your interview with Keely LaCrosse, she does confirm all of this. Am I correct? Yes. She, this information came from her. It's been very vague otherwise. In the Disappeared episode, they don't know exactly, they don't say exactly what happened. They describe Keely as a, an acquaintance, but they were actually pretty good friends. They said that the conversation was for unknown reasons, but they speculated it was based on Brianna maybe was flirting with her boyfriend, but that wasn't the case, that she had actually spent the weekend with him. 
So it's probably worth noting at this point that Keely LaCrosse assaulted Brianna Maitland a few weeks before Brianna went missing. And there are very striking photographs of Brianna Maitland with two black eyes, a broken nose, mm. a cut on her nose. And despite the claim that Keely LaCrosse supposedly only punched Brianna twice through a car or truck window, which is obviously open, I have to say, Brianna Maitland looks like she's gone 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. She looks like she's had the crap kicked out of her. Those were either two of the luckiest punches in the history of female boxing, or there was more to it than one or two punches. And that could be true. Obviously, Keely would have every reason to downplay the severity of the assault at this point. She never really saw consequences for it besides her reputation, which is no picnic, which we did talk about. It is upsetting to see what comes up when you Google her. But she didn't face actual legal consequences for assaulting Brianna. So at this point, why would she emphasize the severity of the attack if it was more severe? Make herself look bad or potentially make other people look bad? What she said to me was, I only punched her twice, and it was just me. She said they said that there was a crew of women. They said that I annihilated her. That's not true. I punched her twice. She was sitting in the car. She didn't say anything. She just kept her head down and was crying. And then I said, you're not worth it. That's what she says happened. We hear other stories, and we have information from other people that say that's not how it happened. Well, based on the other information and the photographs, I'm not buying it in the least. Brianna Maitland had the crap kicked out of her, and it she looked like it. And am I correct that Brianna Maitland did file assault charges against Keely LaCrosse? Yes, she did. But those charges were later dropped after she went missing. How convenient. Mm-hmm. Keely LaCrosse never faced any legal consequences for beating the crap out of Brianna Maitland a few weeks before she went missing. Conveniently, when she went missing, those charges were dropped because Brianna Maitland was nowhere to be found. And according to Shauna LaBelle, who was a friend of Brianna's, all of the friends were gathered to testify before a grand jury. And she had encountered Keely and she had mentioned the charges and Keely had made some sort of comment along the lines of, oh, Brianna's not here anymore, so nothing's going to happen. And when I talked to Keely about it, she actually volunteered the information. Yeah, I did say that. I was mean. I didn't think it was real was her explanation for kind of the callous comment that she had made. I can't help but wonder if Kelly LaCrosse, after the assault charges were filed, decided that she was going to have to really settle the score with Brianna Maitland for sleeping with her boyfriend, Mike Stebbins, and maybe the potential overlap of an earlier dating relationship with James Robitelli. I think it's awfully convenient. Who comes out of this thing better than she was before but Keely LaCrosse? Maybe Keely's actually revealing more than she ought to be when she says a group of us assaulted Brianna Maitland. Maybe that did happen, but we're talking about a second go-round after the beating that she gave Brianna Maitland a few weeks before she disappeared. It's just a theory. She comes up a lot because out of everyone that we talk about, she's really the only one that had a motive when you think about it brianna did something very hurtful to her wrecked her home and then filed charges against her which is compromising to your future and costs you money and time and whatever so that's why people circle back to her a lot plus the history of violence that people thinking okay if she was willing to do that what else was she willing to do 
on the disappeared episode, it said that she was cleared by law enforcement. And Bill, we've had the conversation. How can anyone be cleared until we know what happened? Which, unless a lot is being hidden from the public, we really don't know what happened. We can't really say that anyone's been cleared. I did ask Keely if she had an alibi, and she said no. She said there was no alibi. She didn't know exactly what led to her being quote cleared if that's even the case but she did say that she was always very cooperative with the police and she'd even said that she had caught federal charges at one point and was offered a plea agreement if she would share what she may know and she said i don't know anything so she caught federal charges for drug trafficking am i correct i believe that's correct you're listening to mind over murder we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors every day We rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back here at Mind Over Murder. By the way, I don't want to let this cleared conversation pass without emphasizing mm-hmm. and i'm seeing this on the brianna maitland social media pages again as we speak and i say this is the brother of a murder victim who's been working with the fbi for 34 years on solving his sister's murder let me be perfectly clear here there is no such thing as anyone being cleared in a murder investigation until the murder investigation is cleared so you don't get to say and i don't care who you are And I don't think the Vermont State Police would be this stupid either. No one is cleared until the murder is cleared. And we asked the private investigators, Lou Barry and Greg Overacker, about this. And Lou Barry, a former police chief, said, that is correct. You are never cleared because law enforcement would never say Keely LaCrosse or anyone else has been cleared because what if they are involved in a conspiracy, which could be likely in this example, People who have not been named may be involved somehow in whatever happened to Brianna. So no one is cleared. You're either on the likely list or the less likely list. Let me give you an example. There are 150 persons of interest in the Colonial Parkway murders, my sister's case. Now, there's probably 10 or 15 names on the likely suspects list, most of whom I can name. And then there's uh, probably 135 or more names that have come up at different times. 
that are on the less likely list, but no one's been cleared. And let me tell you something, no one's been cleared in the Brianna Maitland case either. If your name is on a list put together by the private investigations for the missing team or the Vermont State Police or any other agency that's investigated this case, no one has been cleared. So this is ludicrous that people keep claiming that people like James Robitelli have been cleared and Robitelli is a bit of a non-issue now that he's passed away. None of these people have been cleared. Well, and while I completely agree with you, I do think that those words were used by state police. I didn't hear it directly from them, but I just from talking to the private investigators, talking to Bruce, I believe the words cleared have been used to describe Keeley and James by Uh, the state police, according to the people that I've talked to. As someone that knows a fair amount about this, I think the use of those terms was inartful and inaccurate. And in our recent interviews with Lou Barry and Greg Overacker, they both emphasized that no one has been cleared. I know Vermont State Police have said at different times, so-and-so is not a suspect at this time. That's not the same as being cleared. That's being moved on to the less likely list, but still not cleared. So I will continue to push back. No one has been cleared in this case that's ever been mentioned as a suspect until this case is solved. Absolutely. And when people get attached to the idea that someone's cleared, it does create a bias in how you think. You're automatically ruling them out when maybe you shouldn't be. Exactly. Are there other people that you think are worth a second look? Just other names that maybe shouldn't be said out loud that come up in the rumor mill as either being involved in the initial interaction with Brianna, which led to her death, or in the subsequent cover-up. There's another older adult, not an older adult, just compared to Brianna and her friends, who has been implicated a lot in the cover-up. I think that's definitely worth another look, who's closely intertwined with that circle. If I'm not mistaken, this guy's about a decade older than most of the other people who are in the 17, 18-year-old time frame at the time of the disappearance. Correct. And he's heavily involved in crack. And that scene was involved with some of the girls sexually. They did drugs together. And he apparently had confessed to some sort of involvement to people close to him who now deny that it ever happened. I've had some conversations on and offline. Kristen and I have spoken to the private investigators about this. This is something I'm very struck by. And we'll leave names out of this. But who gets drunk and confesses to involvement in a disappearance and potentially a murder on more than one occasion. And there's actually several people who seem to be hanging around a bar. These are men now that in the 16 years since Brianna has gone missing seem to be drunkenly confessing to involvement in either Brianna's disappearance, brutal murder, or the disposal of her body after the fact. I find this really bizarre. Somebody might say something once, let's say, looking for street cred or whatever, to say it repeatedly when intoxicated. And while crying, it's hard to ignore. It really is. I think there may be people that are perhaps implicated in, sadly, in the disposal of a murder victim's remains after the fact, I find this really bizarre and actually very compelling. As I said to Greg Overacker yesterday, who confesses drunkenly over and over again to involvement in a case like this? Yeah, unless, unless you didn't actually do it. 
like it seems nonsensical to do so if you're just making it up. Yeah, it, it seems absurd to me. There are a couple of other suspects we wanted to ask you about whose names have been publicly discussed. Are two imported exotic drug dealers slash sex traffickers, Ramon Ryans, who goes by Street, and Nathaniel Jackson, who I understand is his cousin, who goes by Low, sometimes spelled L-O and sometimes spelled L-O-W. Do you feel like these two ne'er-do-wells are worth another look as well? When you're looking at the angle of Brianna having potentially been trafficked, that kind of becomes a more compelling road to take because of their alleged association with human trafficking. I talked to a couple of women in the area who themselves were in very uncomfortable positions with specifically Jackson, a.k.a. Lowe, where it had become apparent to them that he was trying to traffic them. He was promising them drugs and fancy hotel rooms and trying to get them to either Burlington, Vermont or New York City. Is that correct? Yes. And in one case, it was was obvious. Like She had been lured there, was in the city, and it was very obvious what he was trying to do. And she refused to participate and he just ditched her. So she's abandoned then in New York City by Nathaniel Jackson. Both of these guys are actually originally from New York. Yes, in Jamaica, Queens. What's your take on this idea that the private investigators have spoken to us about, that somehow Ramon Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson were treated like somehow being exotic and cool? We're in a kind of very white bread area of an extremely white bread state. We're up in northern Vermont. There aren't even that many African-Americans to start with, never mind two guys that are back and forth between Queens and Burlington, Vermont and Montgomery, Vermont. What's your take on the way they may have been treated by this group of kids who were also drug users? Like you said, people who were black were not common in the Northeast Kingdom, let alone people from New York City. So I think they had a certain worldliness in their perspective. Obviously, I don't. I would not consider those two worldly individuals. But to them, they were considered interesting and exotic. And they had all this money to spend because of their illegal affiliations, but didn't work. So it's like a teenager's dream. These guys were awesome. They just partied and they didn't have to work. And, of course, we're supplying them with drugs with the intention of getting them addicted so that they would keep buying them, and now they're the supplier. Is there a possibility that Brianna Maitland may have gotten caught up in this? When you look at it from a victimology standpoint, she meets pretty much all of the risk factors that one has when they are dealing with a human trafficking victimization. She wasn't living at home, dropped out of high school. She was in that right age group. There's varying reports about what level of engagement she had in the drug community. She was very vulnerable, some nights sleeping out of her car. So when you look at it from that, I think she was also described as very naive and always trying to see the best in people. I think because of all of those circumstances, an invitation to go to Burlington or to New York or somewhere else probably would have been very appealing. She would have been more susceptible to something like that. There are a lot of rumors of some sort of drug debt that she owed them money, and that could have been another motivation. They knew that she didn't have the money to pay them, so they decided, okay, we'll get what's we'll get what we're owed through trafficking her. I just don't know if they were going to traffic her. I just can't see them stalking the Black Lantern in parking lot and 
planning an ambush at the Dutchburn place. That's just it just seems a little bit far fetched to me based on the crime scene and how everything was for it to have been like a premeditated plot to traffic her. I feel like they could have just invited her to go to New York unless she was already afraid of them. It's just a strange way to do it. Well, and we're baffled because if she owed money to Ryan's and Jackson, why kill her as opposed to insisting that she pay them off? She doesn't have the money. Then I could see them trying to come up with another way. In this theory, if they're involved, I don't know if their intention was to kill her because of a debt. It could have been to traffic her because of a debt. And then she died as a result of their handling of her. But what's your take on two uncashed paychecks sitting on the front seat of her Oldsmobile? It was a rapidly executed abduction. Clearly, everything happened in a very rushed way since it was left in the manner that it was. According to the eyewitnesses that saw the doors open and the headlights on, I don't think a lot of care and attention was put into leaving the crime scene in an inconspicuous way or examining the crime scene for any valuables. The goal was getting Brianna out of there, which they did. They didn't care about anything else. And I think that's apparent from how it was left. Plus, could they really even get so if they cashed her check? Like, she would have to cash it. Yes. Although what I was thinking was if there was a drug debt, I'd certainly be trying to get together all the cash that I could to square up if I owed somebody money. So I'm not saying the paychecks were for large amounts, but it's like literally leaving money sitting on the front seat of your Oldsmobile. It just seems odd. I think maybe she intended to cash them and either whoever abducted her didn't see them or didn't think that they were significant. And Kristen, you, I'm sorry, you were going to ask a question. No, it's okay. What other persons of interest, from your point of view, would you like to interview with regard to their possible involvement in the Brianna Maitland case? Like who would be a great get for you for your blog? Honestly, Ryan's or Jackson would be an excellent get because they haven't talked since 2004. They were arrested in a case unrelated to Brianna. It resulted from the search of their home where they found guns and drugs and they were arrested for that. Ever since then, they haven't really been cooperative as far as I understand. They haven't been interviewed by the media. I know that Ryan's was polygraphed back in 2004 and I think the results were apparently inconclusive, but an official said that it helped clarify things. So I have no idea exactly what was discussed. But the point is they haven't really been interviewed in a long time. And while they're not my top choices for suspects, I think that the theory is compelling enough that I would have a ton of questions. Ryan's was uh, associated with the disappearance of another woman who was found murdered. Yes, just and it wasn't too long after either. He'd left the Montgomery area and moved to Burlington, moved in with his girlfriend, Lucia Collins. And she was also involved in the crack scene and helped him with his trafficking. He actually reported her missing, and a woman named Ellen Ducharme ended up being convicted for murdering his girlfriend, Ligia Collins. All of this happens with Ligia Collins' disappearance and her remains being found. This is all in that same 2000 summer, 2004 time frame. June or July. But no one ever suspected Ryan's of being directly involved in Legia Collins' murder. If they did, it didn't pan out. He's the one that reported her missing. He was never named a suspect or, or arrested for it. As I understand it, Nathaniel Jackson was busted for, I think, cocaine trafficking in the Carolinas at some point later. Yes, and he served time for that, as far as I understand. It sounds like we should have old home week with 
Ramon Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson. <laughs> it might be smarter for us to do a remote interview. <laughs> but you were saying to Kristen, as in terms of an interview get, Ryans and Jackson would be on your short list. Absolutely. Is there anybody else that you'd want to talk to? Let's expand it a little bit. Living or dead that you'd like to talk to about Brianna Maitland's disappearance? Dead James Earl Patel. I think... I, I felt that he held a lot of important information and plenty of people disagree with me on that, but I think he would have been a really good get. This The other person that's implicated that we didn't name that we discussed, Mike Stebbins. There's some of Brianna's friends that I that haven't responded to me or haven't really spoken to me meaningfully that I think would be good to talk to, but most of them have been pretty cooperative. I'd also like to talk to Keely some more. I got that one shot, but haven't really been able to lock down a longer conversation since even though she had talked about wanting to do a podcast it's funny because we were very struck by your very informative interview with keely Mm -hmm. and you seem to be one of the very few people that's actually been able to talk with her on on any kind of in-depth way that's what it looks like and that's why i really wanted to that was like we're talking about gets i felt that was a really important story to get a better understanding of and I felt that my interview with her, assuming that what she's saying is accurate and true, I feel that it corrected a lot of myths or misconceptions and it brought in a lot more to think about and just brought more insight into the situation. And I do, and I do feel that she talked to me a lot and was forthcoming and wasn't really filtering herself. You can tell when someone's being really careful with what they're about to say. I didn't really get the sense that she was, like she was talking fast, it didn't seem inhibited. Well, and some of the interview was pretty unflattering. It wasn't like she was trying to present herself as all-American girl. Not at all. And when you talk to other people that were friends with Brianna, I felt the need to ask questions like, oh, what were some of your favorite memories of her? Or tell me what you liked most about her. Tell me about her. I didn't even bother going into the touchy-feely stuff with Keely because that's just not what she gives off at all. She's definitely like a tough girl. Doesn't beat around the bush brutally straightforward not a touchy-feely type so you'd like to have her on your podcast is what you're saying oh i would love it and i've told her that she knows it yeah (laughs) (laughs) how does your sister and co-host feel about this oh she would love it too and you could hit the you could hit her from two directions you've got yeah i don't know if other people would like it i don't know i don't know (laughs) being interviewed by twins probably just feel like you're being ganged up on (laughs) but keely can handle herself i think these interviews that you were conducting with Killy, was this face-to-face or a phone or how did you do this? It was like a phone call in the middle of the night. <laughs> it was not face-to-face. I had been trying to get her on the phone for a long time and she was just always busy being a mom and working and going to school and stuff. So it's just really hard to lock her down. So I eventually got her, I think, after midnight one night and we were just on the phone for a few hours. Interesting. And that was it. Yeah, and I just had my laptop open and I was typing while she was talking so I wouldn't forget anything. Just the one time. Yeah, and we've had some Facebook chats, but it's a lot easier to actually have a conversation verbally. Are there other people like that that were in that extended circle of friends that you'd like to have a conversation with? Most have been really great and helpful. Her friends, Katie Manning and Megan Jefferson, they were friends with Keely also and attended Keeley's school. Brianna was a transfer student. She had started off at Missisquoi Valley High School and then transferred to Enosburg Falls where all those girls were. From her previous school, she had other friends like Kira Trombley and Shauna LaBelle and I believe Jillian Stout she met in middle school. Those friends were very cooperative and willing to talk as were Megan and Katie. 
There were a couple other ones that either said, I really have nothing helpful for you, just trying to be nice but saying, screw you, <laughs> move on kind of thing, like that just clearly didn't want to discuss it and just said they didn't remember anything. And there's one or two that just never answered me at all. I did try to talk to James when he was still alive and another boyfriend, but neither responded to my outreach. And were you mostly doing phone calls or email or everything? I was social media, the whole nine yards? Everything. Yeah. I was trying really hard to get these interviews, especially seeing how productive they seemed to be. I just felt like you, you learn a lot about someone from talking to their friends. And I felt like invaluable insight was gleaned when you go back and watch our interviews with her friends. It's, I feel like you learn a lot about her, about the crowd, about the area. It's, it's important stuff. So it's the door is still open. I'm always willing to talk to people. I just, I don't know. I can only speculate as to why they wouldn't want to discuss it. And of course, I'm not the police. So if they've already talked to the police, why would they talk to me? What am I going to do? I'm sure there's there could be some of that, but I can only speculate as to why they wouldn't want to talk. So ultimately, what do you think is going to solve the Brianna Maitland case? Is it going to be DNA? Is it going to be somebody confessing? What is ultimately going to break this case open? At this point, with cold cases, just looking at what has worked for other situations, it'll either be DNA or information. Maybe someone's ex-girlfriend will be scorned. Like Maybe one of these guys will cheat on their girlfriend, screw up, and they know everything. And they're like, you know what? Screw this. Done protecting you. I'm going to get my $10,000 and move on with my life. That could happen. Or maybe there will be a positive outcome with what's being tested by Othram. Full disclosure, Othram are a sponsor of the Mind Over Murder podcast. So they, their name does come up a lot, but mostly involved in the cases that they've been cracking all over the country. And I hope that the testing that's being conducted for the Vermont State Police will be productive. Me too. It does bring some hope when they're talking about something new being explored. And I think that it's entirely possible that we're talking about all of her friends and this tangled web. I still think that it's entirely possible that it was someone unknown to us and even unknown to her. And that it's also possible that the encounter which led to her being abducted was a chance encounter and not like a premeditated ambush. I am eager for the truth to come out. And I just think whatever it is, it's going to be really interesting to see what truthful story has glided through, slithered around all of these theories, not quite perfectly matching any of them. I just, I can't wait until we finally know the truth and her family can get justice. Absolutely. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Give us all of your details. Sure. So I would definitely love for people to read the blog that you can find at Chloe from Crawlspace. My name is spelled C-H-L-O-E from crawlspaceblogspot.com. You'll find a lot of information there that you probably haven't seen before. For our show, it's the handle True Crime Twins on Twitter and on Instagram. We post a good amount. So definitely follow us and definitely check out the blog. And if you know anything about Brianna's case, come forward to the appropriate authorities. I can't think of a better way to close out this episode of Mind Over. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your coverage on this case. We had a wonderful time. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for dealing with our technical headaches with such good grace. Mind Over Murder is a production of Absolute Zero and Another Dog Productions. Our executive producers are Bill Thomas and Kristen Dilley. Our logo art is by Pamela Arnois. 
Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod. Mind Over Murder is distributed in partnership with Crawl Space Media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also follow our page on the Colonial Parkway Murders on Facebook. And finally, you can follow Bill Thomas on Twitter at BillThomas56. Thank you for listening to Mind Over Murder. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.